At what point do you hire the PM? What kind of skills do you look for in a PM? This is a hard one, right? Because as a founder, you probably weren't a PM before. But I think if you find a good engineer, you find a good sales engineer, some of these roles transition really well into product management. If the trust is not there, you're going to find yourself diving back in, and that's not where you want to be. The starter project I really like because it is more of that dating before you get married. There I go again. I said it depends. If you're making a lot of investment up front in the hiring process, then you should be slow to fire. It's important that when you bring that person in, they're, they're really dedicated to talking to those customers. Hi, I'm Craig Kirsteins. And I'm Remus Silkaitis. And you're listening to Practical Product, a bi-weekly series where we discuss product management and some of the unique challenges we face in dealing with defining the right product and all of the coordination necessary to help teams build it right. Practical Product is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at practicalprod. A couple weeks ago, we, we dug into a little bit on getting your first PM job, on you know what skills do you need. This week, we're going to look a little bit at the other side of the equation of when do you need a PM? How do you go about hiring one? Like, What's that process, the other side of the table, look like? So when do you really need a PM? And this is going to be maybe a biased answer here, but since we're PMs on the show, I'm going to say almost immediately. Would you agree with that? I, a little bit, not so much. So I've been a first PM at a couple places now. And I think that's a very interesting, tough kind of time going from uh, founders, right? So this really depends on the size of the company you're looking at. Okay, so uh, let's be clear here. We're talking about... We're talking about startups here, or very small companies. Yep. The, we'll get to the other side of it of when you're a large enterprise. You know, how does the PM org look? That kind of thing. But I think you know a lot of our listeners are startups. A uh, number of heavy bit companies are familiar with heavy bit, early stage companies, right? And at that point, you've got the founders doing a lot of this early stage, truly product work, right? Of course. Okay, so we're on the same page there. Okay, good. Well, now I'm glad we got that covered. Now we've got to uh, scale up, right? We add some engineers. Uh, at what point do you hire the PM? I personally would say when it's time for the founders to start doing more business type work and they need to offload the rest of that to somebody else. Because physically it's probably they're they're getting to the point where they can't do everything anymore. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think I've seen some counterexamples. I've actually seen an interesting company that scaled to about two hundred people. Without um, without a PM. Without a PM. Holy um, I, I I think they're the exception, right? But it, it's very interesting to say, okay, now what kind of engineers do you put in place? So I guess that's more the exception. Rule of thumb, what size of company would you say that you should be thinking about hiring the first PM? Uh, in terms of number of employees? Yep. And assuming this is mostly engineering, right? Uh, yes, let's let's assume uh, you know tech, software type companies, right? You know, I'm probably thinking number five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there, probably definitely before number 10. So I think we're going to end up disagreeing still throughout oh, this episode man. a little bit here. I would say a little bit more like 15-20. Usually you've got the split of founders, one that can run a lot of the business, right? One that can do a lot of the product. At Heroku we actually saw this. We saw the founders still wearing a lot of that PM hat a long time until about 20-25 employees. Now, this probably bleeds into the question of do you hire a full-time PM or do you hire someone that's partially PM, partially something else? In which case you can do it a little earlier. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So we'll, we'll meet halfway. All right, all right. 
Um, so I think, yeah, about that point when you know founders are busy with a bunch of other things, busy with customers, busy with the business things, they may still be involved in the product, but maybe 15, 20 people you start to bring in an actual true PM, right? Of, of course. And you know, from my perspective, I think it's important that when you bring that person in, they're, they're really dedicated to talking to those customers. Like when you know, we talk about the founders getting stretched a little bit too thin, that's the opportunity where the PM can really shine and say, okay, what, what's going on in the marketplace? What are the customers saying? And really collating all that information so that that can get looped back into you know, what the engineering team should, quote unquote, should be building. Completely, and I think that that founder status has a certain power in selling and talking to the customer that no one else in the company will have. So you need to utilize that where where it's most valuable. So at about that 15, 20 person size company, when you start to hire the PM, I want to talk a little bit on like where do you find that person? Because I think that person is very, very different from a 50 person company, 100 person company. That first PM is a very kind of foundational role and comes in with a lot of barriers overall. I think if I were to go look for a PM at, at that size of an organization, I'm looking to my network. Who do I know that has had good experience with somebody as a PM that has maybe had prior experience? Because you need to put a lot of trust in that individual because they're coming on so early that the business may be ambiguous. The product might be in a place where some features or things might be ambiguous. And being able to pull all that out and, and undo that ball of wax so that you know, understanding where the direction should be going, I think that's very important. And going to your network and getting, you know, back channeling whatever you got to do, um, getting those recommendations is probably going to be more critical than going to, let's say, like a job board or something else like that. Yeah, I, I would agree completely there. I think the the within your network is huge because at that early stage, that trust is so important that you you do a lot based on trust. You don't have always the bandwidth to do as much deep dive and analysis as you'd like to. Sure, they should be doing that, but you don't always have the bandwidth there. And not coming with the backing of the founder, right? A founder has a certain uh, extra level of credibility no matter what. Maybe in part because they can get rid of you if they want to, <laughs> which a PM can almost never do. But uh, you know, there is that authority. They've poured blood and sweat and tears, years of their life probably into it already by this point at 20 people. That you need to have some level of trust. So, from a network, a positive experience from either a founder or another employee or coming very, very highly recommended from someone you've, you've trusted is usually really key at that early stage. Just touching on the the trust part a little bit more is, you know, if you're that founder and you've got a PM that you recognize that you need a PM, having that trust will allow you to offload some of the. Like you said, you've got this baby, and, and it's tough letting go of certain things. And but you need to as your organization scales because your role kind of changes over time. And especially at that lower employee number, if the trust is not there, you're you're going to find yourself diving back in and saying, "Oh, I got to I got to do this stuff," and that's not where you want to be. And I think even regardless, you'll find yourself diving back in. But that's that's a, a separate <laughs> talk for a separate episode on you know uh, how do founders kind of work with PMs and other kind of parties, but. As much as you can give them that trust and then be as hands-off as you possibly can. If the rest of the org doesn't see that trust coming from you as the founder when you first make that call. Oh, then it's then, over. Then it's over. Like then no one else is gonna trust that individual. Exactly, exactly. So okay, let's say let's say your network isn't as robust as it should be. You through friends of friends or acquaintances of acquaintances, you don't have a strong PM candidate. What do you do? 
first, like I, I think you hit on something there. You you find someone as a PM that uh, has done it before, maybe worked at a small stage that you know done good work. My favorite thing to do is say you throw out one of those pieces that has been a PM before. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at uh, counter areas, now this is this is a hard one, right? Because as a founder, you probably weren't a PM before. You may not have that practice. No one else in the org may. So they've got to start to learn it really quickly. But I think if you find a good engineer, you find a good sales engineer, some of these roles transition really well into product management, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I've seen it kind of go both ways, right? I've seen it go really well where the individual transitioning from one of those roles, let's say engineering, recognizes that their role has changed and they you know, take it with gusto, you know, and start talking to customers and defining scope and doing all that kind of stuff. I've seen it go the other way where the engineering individual will take on the PM role, but it ends up becoming into more of an architect role where they're defining implementation and that's actually gone horribly wrong. Yeah, in thinking on it a little bit more, I do think that it's uh, when they've made the shift to a new company and they have to prove their credibility. They they can't kind of shift to that architect role. They have to rebuild the credibility, and they have to do that by by building. So when you're looking at that, maybe sales engineer that's looking to come over to to be product or engineer that's done some customer facing things, it's better if it's a shift at that first one at least. Now it may change on you know the second, third, fourth PM, but in that first PM hire. If it's a shift from another company, usually they they still have to actually do work to get that credibility, which makes it go a little bit smoother. So if I'm looking out from outside and I see somebody that's a sales engineer and they're coming in and this is their first PM role, would I have the expectation that that individual grows into a much broader PM role, meaning that they start hiring PMs themselves? Very possibly, right? It depends on how successful they are. That takes a, a lot of question of how do they grow into that role, how do they move up, it's it's a big open question there, and really depends on the person. I really want to talk about like the skills that you're looking for in PMs. You know, when when you're whether it's within your network or you're just going to have to go out via maybe a job board or you know accelerator or something else like that, where they can give you references. What kind of skills do you look for in a PM? I mean, I uh, actually tweeted this uh, a couple of days ago that like SQL is one of those skills that whether it's PM or not. I can't underestimate it. The ability to, to dig in, do data analytics on your own is absolutely huge. If they can't, you know, do their own analysis, if they rely on a data analyst team, whether this is a twenty-person company or a two thousand, the ability to actually get your own insights for me is almost a deal breaker. If you can't do that, but I've seen so many good PMs that you know may not have that technical prowess when it comes to SQL, but have the logic to kind of back it all up. Come on. I think there's an exception there of like, yes, you, you can understand and reason about it. In most cases, I found they still aren't afraid to dig in. And I think maybe that's the difference, right? The, the afraidness, the it's not my job to dig in and you know, deal with the data. Oof, I hate those words. It's not my job. Like I, I should almost never hear that. But I think that's a common thing you'll hear of, you know, whether someone likes a PM or not. If PM says, This isn't my job, you go do this, like you're not gonna win any friends inside the org, whether you're 20 people or 2,000. Oh man. I fear for the person that says that. So if listeners out there, please don't ever say this is never this is never my job. But I think <laughs> on that, that SQL side still, right? The PMs that you have found that are proficient at it can do their own analysis. There's immediately that higher level of respect already there that they can do the work, they can figure out what needs to be done, and then make the right calls. You know, I will say, uh, you know, both of us on this program are, you know, data people. And, and again, I don't want to recognize another bias here, but and, even, and some of us are better than others. Oh, easy tiger. 
I will say that you can get pretty far even with just simple, you know, counting of rows and those other things with SQL that even with understanding distributions and things like that, you're you're gonna get pretty far and you'll be much further than let's say 60-70% of other PMs out there. So I'm not saying the bar isn't that low, but I kind of am. <laughs> yeah, and, and not necessarily just SQL. I think SQL, you know, is the the lingua franca of you know uh, how do we do data analysis? But it could be Splunk. It could be you know writing some scripts to pull it up. SQL is the the one I would encourage. But if you're familiar with one, then you know whether it's like Splunk or some other kind of deviation of SQL, the ability to do some form of analysis puts you ahead of most. Okay, so this this sounds like we're implying that this PM needs to be data driven. Is that always the case? Not all are, right? I mean, there are absolute visionaries. You look at like a Steve Jobs that was there any data to say probably remove buttons from the original iPod? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, it was probably against all sort of data. I think there's a balance there of vision and you know being kind of data driven. I actually really like Facebook's term of being data informed, right? Uh, you look at Facebook Beacon, I think, when they first launched it, and all the data said it was an absolute failure. Now, if you look today, Facebook Beacon has basically been rolled out identically again. Like they re- re- redid it a little, rolled it out, not so much negative press. I think they actually did that two, three, four times. I'd have to look back. <laughs> but there was still a broader vision that they were going for. So I think having some vision there matters. But yes, absolutely being data driven is hopefully an obvious requirement. Does that matter on the stage of you know where your company's at? I mean, you know, we talk about smaller companies and you need a lot of vision there to be able to sell your product sometimes to other customers and things like that and get them on board that you're gonna get to this place. Is that more important to have that at, at a smaller stage? I think it depends on your level, right? At a at a bigger company, it's a, a question of, you know, are you more kind of that visionary PM at a larger company, which you you do as you move up in the ranks. If it's at a smaller company, you've got to be both of those. If you're at a 20-person company, you've got to be able to say, here are the 10 features we're going to pull together, and the engineers may or may not, they absolutely may care about the broader vision, but they may just want to go work on their feature. And what you need to be able to do is tie these things together for a bigger launch, for a bigger coordination to actually do all of the marketing. So there's a whole lot more that goes into that earlier stage. Some of it is vision, there's still a whole lot of kind of being data driven. I'm getting a little worried here because if someone needs to have the vision plus, you know, be data driven to some extent, like are these individuals unicorns? I mean, I know you and I are, but you know. I mean, I think you you can sway one way or the other more so, right? And knowing where you're weak, knowing where you're strong is is helpful. I personally have not seen a case where pure intuition, at least at an early stage company, wins long term. I've seen those people get hired and get get a lot of excitement, but over the long haul of like refining the product, iterating on it, those things aren't as exciting to them. And the product tends to rot over time. But I mean, what are, what are your thoughts? You know, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I think the intuition, the vision type PM is somebody that, it, depending on where you're you're at in your organization and the products that you're working on, I think makes a lot of sense. If you're if you're talking about a greenfield project, like for sure, I want somebody that has that intuition and vision. You know, I would like somebody with that data driven bent to them to to help out when it comes to assessing what's going on in the marketplace. But you know, that that's not a deal breaker. But like you said, if if this is something where the product's been out there, it's been vetted, you're starting to get some traction. I'm less inclined to have the visionary unless you're going for some bigger play where you know you're building a, 
you know, to use you know big company parlance like a program or something else along, along those lines. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things in there. I think that that visionary is getting their data in different ways, right? You hit on that a little bit at the big two thousand person company. You're looking at things like a Gartner Magic Quadrant. You're reading these reports. You're thinking on a three to five year time frame, and you're making big, big, big investments. So you're you're taking your data in, and yeah, it's a little more qualitative than quantitative, but it still exists. At the smaller company, yeah, the visionary does tend to to drop down a little bit, and your vision is what's six months from now, and what how do all these features tie together, right? For sure. One of the topics that I really like to talk about is like doers versus delegators. I don't want to imply that visionaries aren't doers, but you know sometimes that line can blur a little bit, and I think the two are a little bit orthogonal. Is that distinction even important when you're looking for a PM? It definitely is, right? And at a small company, I've I've seen way too many times where they've brought in a person that's been a, a VP of product, a director of product five times over, and is used to having 10 people under them. And I think it applies outside of product too, right? It, it mm-hmm. applies to marketing, it applies to sales. Well, even engineering, right? I mean, possibly. Right, like a VP of engineering probably hasn't written code in a few years, and if you need them to actually ship some stuff, unless they have 20 people under them, it's, it's hard to do. So um, it definitely applies on the size of the company, and I would... I would tend to encourage, especially on the product side, to steer more towards inexperience and that ability to do an enthusiasm. Then, and yeah, delegator probably the wrong word, right? But that if you loosely couple that delegator visionary that needs the resources under them, you're going to be a little disappointed. And it's I think that's oftentimes where some sour taste comes when you you talk at a startup tech focused company and say, you know. Marketing gets a bad rap. Product gets a bad rap. Sales gets a bad rap because you brought in high-level people that don't communicate on the lower level and actually get get shit done. You know, I don't want to imply that one or the other is bad. I mean, I, I think it really depends on your situation. Sometimes, you know, the delegator, even in a small company, can still do fairly well. I mean, it really depends on how many of those delegators you have across the organization and where you really need that individual. I mean, because I mean, let's be honest, even at the twenty-person companies and below. A lot of the roles are somewhat fluid in, in terms of what people need to do. I mean, I still remember having to jump in and do like sales, basically. I mean, I think we've talked about that in past episodes. Yeah, and I, I'm with you a little bit there too. Like, delegators is probably the wrong term, right? Mm-hmm. Think of it as a coordinator, or someone you know that maybe isn't doing the lead work, but is coordinating a lot of the pieces, right? We'll have to come back maybe on a good term for it. <laughs> We could probably spend a whole episode just talking about uh, naming things. I think that was queued up for uh, a future one. <laughs> okay, so we've got a set of skills. We talked about you know being data driven. We've talked about SQL doers versus you know the unpopular term of delegator. We touched on big versus small company a little bit. When do you decide to kind of say, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on this individual? Or let me even rephrase that. What kind of things do you do during the interview process to say, okay, I have vetted this person and I think they're a good hire? I mean, one, this probably devolves right into like, what is your interview process? Which I'm actually really curious if there's another heavy bit podcast that we can refer to about interview processes for, for startups. If not, maybe we could do a cross collaboration there with a few others. But for me, one thing is like get them doing it right. Get them doing real work. Like that's huge to actually test it. It was described to me that Heroku created startup projects way back when, which is like used to be a one to two week kind of trial. Like you would be a consultant, we would pay you. It's like you're working for us. Yep. Um, it was described to me as dating before you get married. 
Like it's a it's a commitment on both sides. You're really trying this out. You're invested, and at the end of it, you know if you're going to take the next step. So for me, something like a, a starter project where you're coming in and maybe you don't have two weeks. Actually, I think a lot of startups do. You can find people that are consultants that have this time that are sitting around. If they don't, work with them. But startups can pretty easily say, "Yeah, we can bring you on as a contractor for one to two weeks. Let's let's try this. We have this project. Like, get to work." I will point out that maybe you don't even need one to two weeks. Maybe you can do this in two to three days, right? The point is that you need some. I think you need some extended period of time, more than just one day, where somebody comes in and sits down and talks interview, right? I mean, it's actually the mechanics of doing the work. And I will point out that I, you know, from my perspective, I really think that. If you do go down this starter project route, you really need to have that individual do something that you know you're not sure of whether they can fill that gap and the gap that you need in your organization. Because if you if you do not do that, then what'll happen is you you could misfire, hire the wrong person, and then you're going to pay for it for you know who knows. And if you have trouble firing, then you know you that that individual could be there for months to years. And I think on that, that firing kind of piece, that's one thing of if you're making a lot of investment up front in the hiring process, then you should be slow to fire. If you're not making that investment up front, then you should be very quick to fire them and say, you know, we hired you too quickly. This was our bad. We're sorry. But like, be quick on being long invested on both sides or be quick on uh, both sides. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm sure we could spend a whole other episode just on firing. And then personally, I think it's demoralizing to the company. You know, when you're you know quickly hiring somebody and then firing them. So, you know, caution: spend as much time up front as possible when you're hiring. Agreed. On the same page there. I think you do have to think of like if they're not working out, then you have a responsibility to everyone else in the company to get rid of them quickly. But yes, I think it is far preferred to spend the time up front, spend the investment. Uh, if you are doing a two to three day starter project, don't assume that you don't have to do more work up front. I actually think with the one to two week ones, it's a little less work. Maybe you spend more time over the aggregate of it, but it's less upfront work. So if you're doing that compressed two to three day and it's an actual project, you do have to do a lot of work up front to make sure it's it's productive. So somebody's come in, they've done a starter project with you. What signals are you looking for to to, to actually pull the trigger on a candidate? There's a whole lot, and I actually want to get into that, but I want to come back a little <laughs> bit first. What are they doing during that starter project? What uh, are some of the best ones that you've coordinated and run and, and, and done? Well, okay, so like on the engineering side of things, like they're actually writing code, doing some kind of project there, right? On the PM side of things, it is actually things like, can you go through a planning process if I do not think you can do that kind of thing? Is it, can you dive into customer feedback and tell me what the real issue is here and then present it to the team as what we should take on. Things like doing presentations, mock sales calls, things like that. Yeah, I think that's spot on and I was, I was a little sad there because I thought you were about to say it depends. The, the, the <laughs> prototypical product manager answer. Uh, we should rename the show to it depends. Uh, so uh, yeah, absolutely agreed there. And I think um, a previous episode with Raj, we highlighted a great one actually. I mean, in sales, but did basically a, a swap that was essentially a startup project where we interviewed like 10 customers about this potential feature we were looking at building, figured out what we needed to do, and then made a proposal at the end, talked to the engineers of what was feasible. It was almost a, a perfect one end to end that was uh, talking to customers, talking to engineers, figuring out the value, and then making a proposal. And in reality, from there, you know, the rest of it is is pretty easy to manage relative to making those upfront decisions. One thing I think we might have left out in all of this is like, what kind of commitment does the whole team need to have relative to the starter project? 
Yeah, so this is something I kind of wanted to hit on, and that, that two to three days is really important for me to pay attention to when they have coffee, when they have beers, like how are they interacting. Like the team is super critical in all of this and should be involved, you know, time-wise too. So I think there's the official capacity, but then there's the casual capacity because as a PM, chances are if you're a traditional org, no one's going to report to them, and if so, it's a more junior PM. No -hmm. engineers are ever going to report into the PM, which means you have to get engineers to buy into what you're trying to do to support you without any of them reporting to you, so you actually have zero authority. You trying to pull that off in two to three days is... uh... Pretty challenging, but I think I think you can overcome it. I know I know I have in past jobs. But I, but you're generally just looking for the indicators, right? Like, does the team like the person? Like, if if, sure. if you like them, it's a huge difference. Now, for someone like sales, not to to crap on sales, which we tend to do, but well, to crap on sales, you know, <laughs> it's not my ideal, you know, to go out drinking with a salesperson. Usually, if you think of the used car salesman type, the stereotype. Do those exist anymore? I mean, well, with Tesla, probably not soon. But yeah, I mean, I've seen salespeople come in with their black books. I've seen those get hired at, at startups, and I've seen those close deals. So it's a question of how do you want to structure your org there. Mm-hmm. But while they might be right for my business, the engineers aren't going to have to hang out with them. With the PM, your engineers are going to have to interact with them on a daily basis. So I do want to see that there's a rapport there. I sure hope there's a rapport there. If not, then you know you have to really question uh, this individual during the starter project. You know, one of my favorite things to do is you know have PMs get up and give that presentation. I think that's like, that is probably the, the seminal activity that I've had all of all of the ones that I've interviewed actually do. It's do the slide where. Sell me on some idea, and I'm going to come back at you. Whether or not the questions I'm asking are based in reality or not, I am going to poke holes in everything that you're saying up there to see how you react to pressure. See, it's really interesting because I take a different approach there, where I heavily coach and prep them, but then basically tell the engineers to go at them. Like, oh, so you tell the team to do it? I tell the team to do it and see how they defend themselves against the engineer, how they hold up, how they look at that sort of probing. You know, within the starter project, I try to be a, you know their cheerleader, their support, like prep them on every step of the way. But then, I want I want to see how they debate with the the engineers. I have to do it all the time. I want to see how they do it. So, if there is any dissent within the team, if anybody says a maybe or there's that one person that says no, is that enough to just kill the whole hiring process for that PM? This comes a little bit back to your company's hiring policies, right? I've seen where anyone says a no, that's an outright no across the board. I think you do build really high quality teams. How much do you build, you know, teams that are too homogeneous there is is an open debate. I think it depends. There's a little bit on the why. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are they saying no? Is it because they didn't think they understood the technology? And was that the goal of the starter project you gave them? The engineers don't always have the full insights. You've set them up with some info. Hopefully your engineers aren't spending all three days with them, right? You're spending the bulk of that, but the engineers are spending some time. So you've got to kind of make a call there based on why did they say no, why did they object, and can you reason about it with them, right? How strong is that no? It's, it really varies there. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think uh, it really depends on your situation. There, there I go again, I said it depends. You know, if, if you're in a situation based on your company's hiring practices where it's not like your hands are tied, but if you're in a situation where you know the, the candidate has been vetted, but you know there's a, there's a minor dissent. You know sometimes that's that's okay. That's good enough. I, I would concur with what you're saying, and that it really depends on the goals that you'd set for that candidate when they came in, and whether whether or not they made those goals for you as hiring manager looking for this PM. 
So um, you, you've gone through, you've finished your starter project. Is, is start well one is starter project the only way to do this? No, I think there's there's plenty of ways, right? And it's a matter of how much time and effort do you have. You can go through a traditional interview process. You're still looking at a lot of commitment from the team, right? Of like, can you give them homework, right? Can you give them here's what we're talking about? Interview an engineer. I actually used this for a product marketing candidate of, hey, I'm going to have you interview the engineers about this stuff, and now I'm going to have you write the launch blog post and create the launch plan, and I'm going to see what you come up with. And, and <laughs> I, I understand that's a little, you know, throwing them to the wolves because they didn't understand the technology. But there's other ways that you can do this. But I think it is really imperative, at least on a first PM hire, to actually have them do some of the work. I think I'd agree with that. So okay, so you, you make the decision, you say yes. What happens next? So at that point, you know, hopefully you make the job offer they accept, right? Like it's <laughs> and you're done. No. Um, <laughs> so the starter project I really like because it is more of that dating before you get married. You're both trying each other. Hopefully you both walk away knowing that, yeah, this is great. This is what I want to do. This is gonna work. Have there ever been instances where the candidate doesn't do that the the like the opposite direction? Do you know what I mean? Like they're they're not really interviewing you. They they feel like they're just being interviewed. On a first PM candidate, I I've not found that to be the case. Okay, there's still a little of both sides. Now at a later stage PM, at a PM two, three, four, at a hundred person company, yes, I have seen that, and that's a that's a completely different discussion of, and there you know you have a a very capable PM. They've come through references. You're seeking them out, and at that point, there's a whole different playbook of if you really need this person, right? For sure. When I go finish a starter project, I think one of the last things I like to do uh, before saying yes to a candidate is just being clear of the tasks that they have to do, so that they understand what they're getting into before it actually happens. The starter project should illuminate a lot of that. But just to be clear, PM candidate, this is where I need you. This is what what you need to do, and these are the expectations. So that way, so long as it's written down and you guys agree to them. You know, when they show up to the to the organization, especially the twenty person company, they should know what they're getting into, starting in, and where to where to focus their time and energy. And I like to do the opposite, the the alternative to that side of that as well, and say, what do you want out of this? Like, what's your goal here? Especially on the first one. On the later ones, it's pretty clear. There's a clear growth path, right? If you're coming from someone that's maybe it's not a first PM, but it's their first PM job, that's a big mm-hmm. one. Of like, what do you want to get out of this? Where do you want to grow in your career? What skills do you want to improve on? Because you know you're helping out in a way here, but I also want to support you long term. So there's both sides of that, and I think having that discussion is really important. Yeah, I don't want to imply that you know it's a set of tasks that need to be done, but it's more of like these are the, these are the problem areas that we have that are acute right now. I need you to go and fix those things. So you and don't it, want to imply it's a set of tasks that needs to be done, but it is a set of tasks that need to be done. <laughs> it depends. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Here's what's burning. Does this make sense? Then what do you want to tackle? Um, it's it's an open-ended discussion, right? For sure. I think on that note, we've uh, rounded the horn on hiring. And, and uh, if you have any more questions or want to dive deeper into this, you know, hit us up at uh, practicalproduct at heavybit.com. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you have a PM topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us at practicalproduct at heavybit.com or on Twitter at PracticalProd. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. 
It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 